This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to episode 56 of the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. So semi-finalists in 2015, semi-finalists in Euro 2017, now World Cup semi-finalists again in 2019. Just like the men in Russia last year, the Lionesses saw off Scandinavian opposition to make it to the semi-finals. This time, beating Norway in La Havre by a convincing 3-0 scoreline. I must admit, after some of the periods of play against the likes of Japan and Cameroon, I thought this would be a real test for the girls. Norway had come through their round of 16 match against Australia on penalties. They were previous winners of the tournament. And from what I'd seen of them, they're strong. But an early Jill Scott strike put them on the back foot. Another Ellen White goal and a third from Lucy Bronze saw us through to play the winners of either France or USA. With our best performance of the tournament so far, in my opinion. Coming up, we'll speak with Rich Laverty and Tamsin and Helen from the wonderful Two Girls World Cup podcast. And again, we'll touch on the under-21s and their disastrous European Championships in Italy and San Marino. So, the USA had put us out in the quarters in 2007 and France had done the same in 2011. So either opposition was going to be a tough ask. In the end, the US put the hosts out winning by two goals to one with two Megan Rapinoe strikes. Looking back over the history between the two nations doesn't make pretty reading. But neither did it against Norway and we overcame that. Now, the Lionesses have met the US women's national team on 15 occasions, the first back in 1985, in a tournament known as the Mundalito, which was a global invitation tournament for national teams in women's football. It was only held on four occasions, and it was always played in the northern region of Italy since 84. And at the time, it was one of the most prestigious women's football events. And this is, of course, prior to uh, the Women's World Cup and, and women's Olympic football as well. Now, the Lionesses, or the England women at the time, won that first game and indeed the second. But since then, we've only ever beaten them twice more. We've drawn twice and we've lost nine times. The most recent encounter was the game earlier in the year in the She Believes Cup, where the Lionesses drew with the American women. Of course, if we win this semi-final, we've made history. I'm sure Manchester United and Everton fans will already know this. But Phil Neville, well, he's endeared himself to the nation, I think, speaking from the heart. And it has been immediately after the games. You may remember Cameroon. He spoke out saying that he was completely and utterly ashamed of the opposition and their behaviour. I've never seen circumstances like that on a football pitch and thinks that this kind of behaviour is pretty sad. And think of all those young girls and boys watching. I don't think you'd ever really hear a manager in the Premier League or, or any other manager. I don't really remember hearing something being said like that. 
And after Norway, he kept saying the team well, were having fun and that the most important thing was to have fun. And so far, that seems spot on, especially if you see all the social media pictures of the girls playing on the beach and just really getting on. It's been really good to see. And, and I think hats off, hats tipped, whatever, uh, to Phil Neville. He has uh, he's turned his image of being the England Lionesses manager around, if you remember. All the negativity that was around his appointment at the very beginning. Now, the Norway game, there was a lot of talk in the lead-up to it. Steph Houghton wasn't 100% fit following the last-minute challenge she received against Cameroon. And Millie Bright had been in bed all day with a virus that was supposedly sweeping through the camp. Come kick-off time, they were both back. And the starting lineup for that game was Karen Bardsley, Lucy Bronze, Demi Stokes, Steph Houghton, Millie Bright, Kira Walsh, Jill Scott, Nikita Paris, Frank Kirby, Tony Duggan and Ellen White. Lucy Bronze was rightly lauded and will go back to her home ground, Leon, for the semi-final. Jill Scott winning her 19th World Cup cap was immense as always. But for me, it was Steph Houghton. Again, directing England, saving England and pushing England forward. But Phil Neville has said the spirit in the camp is high and on the pitch. And it's just where they are so together. Let's speak to Rich Laverty now, who we've regularly spoken to on the Three Lions podcast. He's been out in France since the very beginning. Let's hear his take on it. Let's welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, Rich Laverty, who is en français. Rich, hello. Hi, how are you? Not too bad. Thank you very much for joining us. I know you're, I know you're very busy over there. You've been over there since, since day one, I think, isn't it? And we, we spoke right at the very beginning of the tournament in a, uh, in a little preview bit for it. Here we are, what are we, four weeks later? Oh, something like that. Yeah, the day, I've had this conversation a lot with people out here that we just have lost track of days now. Um, we kind of work by the media scheduled and the days, whatever they are now, whether it's Monday, Thursday, Saturday, they just don't matter. Um, we've completely lost track. So, yeah, I think I've been out here, I came out on the 6th, so 22 days now um, and 10 to go. What is What is the media schedule? Is that what they, they tell you is going on? Yeah, so England have, they will send a schedule of things out um, every time we move city, essentially. So there'll be a travel day, which is today. The team travel to Lyon today. Tomorrow they actually have a day off, but generally you'll have a media day. Um, and then the day after that will be the official pre-match press conference um, with Phil Neville and, and the opposition manager. And then it's match day. Um, it, it works a little bit different, actually, this time. the I think the press conference is on Sunday, so it's actually two days before the game. Um, and then they'll have a separate media session on Monday before the match. So it, it works a little bit different once you get towards the end. But generally, yeah, you just get a schedule through and think, right, that's what I'm doing on this day, that's what I'm doing on that day. And actually, what the day actually is doesn't really matter uh, <laughs> once you're out here. I see. Well, let's just put into perspective. We're talking the day after uh, England have beaten Norway and we're speaking before 
uh, the USA play France. I think we've what we've got an hour to two hours to go to before kickoff for that game. Let's go very, back to the very beginning. Let's briefly cover that group game or group games: um, Scotland, Argentina, and Japan. If if in say twenty years' time we were to look back on that group table, we'd think, well, we stormed that group, didn't we? It was a little bit closer than than it appears on paper, wasn't it? Yeah, England's World Cup has been strange, to be honest, because I, I, I don't think we've probably hit our absolute peak at any point. I think probably the first 45 minutes yesterday against Norway and the first 45 minutes against Scotland was probably the best that we've played. But I did touch upon this on social media earlier that I think there's probably only five players you can say that have probably maxed out their potential in this tournament. And, you know, we've seen some a lot of rotation, which hasn't helped some players, but we've seen some players that probably haven't played as well as they would have liked to. But you can't argue with it. You know, we've won five games. We've conceded one goal. Um, I did make a slightly sarcastic remark last night that you could write a book on how England haven't conceded because... <laughs> I mean, Norway could have had probably two or three last night. Cameroon certainly could have had one or two. And Japan probably could have had two or three as well. So how we're quite doing it by making some of the errors that we are um, and giving the ball away at the back. And, you know, all the chances that the opposition have been having have come through our mistakes. And and the only goal we've conceded came through our mistakes. So, yeah, we're living a charmed life, and hopefully we can still get away with it. Maybe it's maybe our names on the trophy. The way things are going, I don't know, but um, yeah, look, you, we won all three group games. Um, great results. We won the group, which gave us conceivably the slightly easier path to the semi-final. And and now we're here, sat here tonight, waiting to see is it going to be the hosts or is it going to be the holders? And either way, it's going to be a massively tough match, but uh, an exciting match as well. Yeah, thoroughly agree. Um, well, just touching back on what you said about maybe five players have have maxed their potential. I haven't. I didn't see uh, if you put that on social media. But if if I was to guess, I think I could guess maybe four out of five of those. If I was to say Lucy Bronze, Jill Scott, Steph Houghton, Ellen White, would they be four out of the five? They would indeed. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who who the other one would be. And I don't know, off the top of my head, to have maxed out their potential. They, they would definitely fall. I mean, Lucy has just been unbelievable. Mm. Um, it makes me wonder even more what Phil Neville saw playing her in midfield in some of the warm-up games because she is the best right-back in the world. There isn't even um, a doubt for me. Steph, a lot of people praise Steph's season at Manchester City and I, I actually wasn't overly impressed at times, but... She has had a very good World Cup. There's been a, a, a little weakness there sometimes. She gets caught out of position or she gets under the ball a little bit, but some of her recoveries have been unbelievable. Last night she made one fantastic last-ditch tackle um, where Norway would certainly have scored. She cleared one off the line, which would have been a certain goal. And she leads by example. That's what Steph does. She's an unbelievable leader. Um Jill, I think Jill has consistently been the best player under Phil Neville since day one, literally since day one. I think she's just found the perfect role in this team. And Ellen has been, 
yeah, probably doing what she's threatened to do for England for a while um, because she's been in such unbelievable form for the last two years at Birmingham. So it's not a surprise to me that Ellen is right in the golden golden boot hunt. And the other one for me was is probably Karen Bardsley. I think she's right. been, I think she's been excellent when she's played. She made a couple of really good saves last night. Um, the one against Japan from the free kick early on that she tipped onto the bar was probably probably save of the tournament so far. Uh, Certainly up there. Yeah, I don't think there's many other goalkeepers that would have saved that. And Look, Karen, you lose a bit with her in terms of how we want to play, playing out from the back. She's not particularly comfortable doing that, and it does put us in trouble sometimes, but she is an unbelievable shot stopper, and I think she's been in top form during this tournament so far. So, yeah, they're definitely the... Other players have shown glimpses of what they can do without doing it consistently. I think they are the five that every game they've played in this tournament, they've they've performed and done their jobs. Yeah, I mean let's let's touch on on Cameroon round of sixteen. Um, yeah, well, I don't don't want to spend too much on it. I'm sure. I mean, everyone knows what's happened and seen about it. But what was your take on it? It was so bizarre to watch. I mean, you you're kind of quite unaware of what's going on when you're actually in the stadium because you don't have the replays. You're not entirely certain of the the exact situations of what's going on, but it was just bizarre. You know, it was so surreal to sort of watch this team crumble almost, you know, and it did look like they were going to walk off the pitch. There were some players that sort of went to the side and you thought, are they going to go off? You know, are they coming back on? And then they came back on for the second half and... They had one of their team officials out with them, and I was sort of thinking, "What's going on? You know, what are they doing? What are they?" Th-? And then straight away they scored, and you think, mm-hmm. "You know, it's game on," and it gets called, and it gets ruled out, and you just think, "Oh, this is," you know, you you just knew as soon as that went to VAR that trouble was coming, um, and yeah, it, it it just descended from there really, and yeah, it was just a, a bizarre match, and it's a real shame because Cameroon actually. They were probably one of my surprises of the tournament. You know, they they got through the group. They played some good football. I watched them against the Netherlands, and you know, they they played well and they scored a goal in that game. And you know, they did actually cause England some problems. It probably got forgotten. You know that they, yeah. you know, the goal was a heel offside, I think. And even after that, they had a one on one. They missed a few other chances. They actually had some really good footballers, and unfortunately. You know, the legacy of this World Cup for them, people are going to remember, you know, not the game itself, really, um, which is a shame. But, yeah, for one of those things, I, I, you know, Phil said it was an isolated incident. It has been, and I hope it remains so. But, yeah, to be in the stadium and sort of watch that, the, the fun always follows England around somehow. We're always involved. Yeah. I don't know how it happens, but we are always involved. So, yeah, it was just one of those things. It was It was crazy, yeah. Did you did you experience the Cameroon post match uh, interview with the manager? I did. Yeah, it was bizarre. I mean, I was sat next to a Cameroon journalist in the press box, and he was going absolutely mental. Um, he was shouting all kinds of things. He almost walked. I think he did walk off right. after the goal got, and he was shouting that it was the white people's World Cup and things like that. I was like, oh my god, like what is this guy doing? Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the post-match was, it was so strange because a lot, a lot of people on social media were talking about 
Uh, was it racism? You know, were, were African teams, you know, not getting the decisions European teams were? But it wasn't about that for me. You know, their manager came out and said the decisions were wrong. It was an injustice, and I thought they weren't. None of them were, you know, probably the only decisions that were wrong were against England. Our goal was onside. I I do not know for that one what Cameroon were appealing against, whether they just don't know the offside rule. Their goal, like as harsh as it was and as close as it was, it was offside. Um, The pass back, I was a little bit 50-50 on the pass back. I probably wouldn't have complained if it hadn't have been given, but... They should have had a red card after three minutes for an elbow mm. on Nikita Paris. They should certainly have had a red card at the end for a, a ridiculous challenge on Steph Orton. And, and England probably should have had a penalty as well. So it was, it was surreal that their manager came out. You know, you know, we were hard done by. You know, it could have been a different result. I think one of the players said the referee did her dirty work. And yet England were coming out saying, you know... We've been hard done by, you know. We were being battered and we should have had a pay. It was just, yeah, the way the two sides saw it so differently was quite crazy, if I'm being honest. Um, it was, yeah, it was all very surreal. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's move on to Norway and last night's game. I personally thought Norway would have been tougher than they ended up being. I don't know if the early goal helped that but did you have the same opinion yeah I was a little bit disappointed I don't know whether it was down to England genuinely being so good or whether Norway were just not at it whether they were tired from you know playing 120 minutes and penalties against Australia they they generally played the same starting 11 most of the tournaments I don't know whether it caught up with them but Norway have a problem where a little bit like England, where I just said that I can't believe we haven't conceded more goals in this tournament. It's probably the same for Norway. They've mm. actually given up a lot of chances without giving too much away. They've got a few midfielders in defence. Obviously, we know Mara Mielda better as a midfielder with Chelsea, but it was Christine Minder probably at left back. You know, She's more a midfielder, even a forward at times and she just got you know from the first minute the goal came down that side she got absolutely killed by Nikita Paris and Lucy Bronze together and felt a little bit sorry for her at times because she was out of a depth in terms of that position and look Norway showed a lot of promise going forward and, and they got a lot of space um, behind England's midfield and that, that has been a a regular theme this tournament and again a team just didn't take advantage of it so, yes, I think we're still living a little bit of a charmed life and whether the US or France will take advantage, we'll see. But England played well. You know, we, we, no, we can say what we like about Norway, but England did play well. They attacked yeah. well. Um, they passed the ball well. Like I said, I think the only issue is that the chances we're giving up are probably through our own undoing at the moment. Um, we are sloppy passing out from the back and, and giving the ball away and we are a little bit open with the midfield too. But... Yeah, Norway probably just, it was probably just a little step too far for them in terms of the game. Um, and England, yeah, England deserves to win, no question. Well, the uh, as we mentioned, we're talking before the USA-France game. How do you see that one? And potentially, how do you see us against either of them? 
It's a $64,000 million question, I know. I mean, this is the game that everyone... We've been talking about this game for six months since the draw got made and everyone sort of clicked that, oh, USA might play France in the quarterfinal and you're thinking, wow, you know, either the hosts or the holders are going home tonight and it's pretty crazy situation because I think a lot of people probably would have had it down as a potential final. I really don't know. I mean, I, I... literally tweeted about half an hour ago that I've said all year I fancied France to beat them, but I haven't been convinced by France in this tournament yet. I think the US have that experience and that know-how and probably a little bit stronger team all round, but you know the home atmosphere, it'll be rocking tonight in Paris and I th- I'm so looking forward to it. I think it'd be absolutely Brilliant. I'm sure England would love it to go to extra time. I mean, they've got an extra day's rest as it is. So if they had to play another half an hour, um, that would help England greatly. I think England would probably prefer to play France. Look, neither of them are going to be easy. And I think England would be second favourites in either of them. But I think France is more doable. I think USA is doable as well. But just can't help but feel a team with a bit more quality like they do are going to expose some of the weaknesses in England's team. But yeah, in terms of time, I cannot call it. If you if you asked me for a prediction, I would say I'm leaning towards the USA at the moment. Um, and that would be a disaster for France because not only would they be out before the semi-finals, they wouldn't get an Olympic spot either. So it would be a, a massive double whammy for them tonight. It's true. There, yeah, there is that added bonus of the the Olympic spot, and that's right. We'll edit that bit out about because we're playing before. We're talking before the games being played. We'll we'll edit your prediction out if it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of other things. I mean, obviously, I mean, back here we're being told it's all over the news that the the weather in France is a touch hot. Is this going to affect any anything going forward? Um, what's is it? Is it really that hot? Yeah, I think a touch hot is uh, undermining it somehow. <laughs> it's um, It's been lovely every, every day, really, about one or two where it's been a little bit cooler, but right now it is unbelievable. Um, I think they've recorded temperatures of 45 degrees in some places today. Um, in Lyon, where I am, I think it got to 38, and it's going to be 38 over the next two days, I think. So Saturday and Sunday, it's going to be 38 degrees, and then it does drop off a little bit. I think it goes down to 31, 32 on Monday, and actually game day is the coolest day. I say cool, it's going to be 29 degrees still, but compared to what it is for the next day or two, that's going to be, in all relativity, quite cool. And then it's going to perk up again. I'm not sure what it's going to be like for the final, but... It's a nine o'clock kickoff, so it will be generally a little bit cooler by that time anyway. The final, should England be in it, is a bit earlier. I think it's a five o'clock local kickoff, um, so it could be hot. I think it probably plays against England somewhat because we have looked tired, certainly in second halves, and the USA particularly are a team you look at and they they don't seem to get tired. They're a very physically strong team, so many of their players, they look strong, you know, they're tall, they're powerful. I think if we were playing the USA in, in tough conditions, I think we would struggle um, towards the end of the match. But, yeah, it's one of those things. England have done a lot of preparation. They've done a lot of sauna work. They've done training in thermal gear and things like that. So they're, they're, they're as prepared 
as they can be. Um, and we've just got to see what happens at the end of the day. There's one thing you can't control, it's the weather. Yeah, because just, just looking on the other side of that draw, I think Germany could be that one to go through, could they? Mm, yeah, Germany have been weird. Like Nobody's talked about them. I think everyone's focused so much on France because they're the hosts and USA because they're the holders. And obviously we focused on England that no one's really spoken about. Not a lot of people spoke about Germany before the tournament either, but they've played four games. They've won four games. They've not conceded a single goal. Um, you can never rule Germany out. You know, it's the, the, the one rule of football, male or female, you can never rule Germany out. So... Um, yeah, look, we're talking about getting past the USA or France as if we win it. If we do that, you've still got to play Germany or Netherlands or someone like that. So there's whatever happens, there's two massively tough games left. Um, you probably would expect it to be Germany, but who knows? Um, World Cups do funny things and they can be shocks. So let's just let's see what happens. And um, what about yourself? Being out in France and this whole new experience, um, I see you've been writing for a, uh, a fair or a fair amount of, of various different media outlets. Yeah, it's been um, it's been great. You know, it, it's it's tough. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, I, I hate moaning about it because it's the greatest job. You know, to come out to France and you know, I've been here for three weeks. By the time we go home, I'll have been here for over four weeks. You know, and I'm covering my country in a World Cup and getting paid to watch football, so I hate moaning about it, but it is a tough job. It, it's unbelievably demanding. It's so hot every day. You're running around, walking around, press conferences, you know, media sessions, games, you know, dragging suitcases on and off trains and planes and taxis and all sorts. And, you know, over three weeks, it does wear you down. Um, and you do have up and down moments. Yesterday, Yesterday was a weird one um, for probably quite a few of us because we didn't know what we were doing. You know, going into the game, it was either, you know, you're in France for another 10 days or you're going home. Mm. Yeah, obviously, now we're in the semi-final. Either way, we're here till the end. Whether England win or lose, they're here till the end. So, But last night was quite strange. I mean, a lot of people were going to stay anyway, but there were a few of us that were thinking, you know, it's getting to 9 o'clock when the game starts and you think, I'm, I still don't know what I'm doing. You know, am I in France for the next week and a half? Or am I at home this time tomorrow, you know, sat in my living room again? So it was very strange mentally last night, I have to say. And it, it, I wasn't bothered either way, really. Like, again, I'm not going to complain at, at staying out in France for another 10 days, but there was a little part of me that wouldn't have been bothered about going home because I'd done three weeks, I think done a lot of work in that time but it's yeah it's been it's it's so such a surreal experience um doing it you know you're out and about every day with the players you with the manager constantly doing interviews constantly writing things up you know talking about embargoes and uh, transcribe it's it just it's just a never-ending sort of cycle of of writing things up and it's um yeah, it's been interesting. It's been a learning curve, um, but it's been uh, a great experience. And I have to say that the people that you are out here with make it. I mean, we've been with this group of media now for three weeks. And, you know, there's a lot of people there I've known for a lot of years. But there's also people that I've not met until probably three weeks ago. And I feel like I've known them my whole life. 
Um, and we've joked at times that it's like something like Big Brother, you know, where you are, <laughs> you are together, you know, not every minute of every day, but you see each other every day. You know, you share taxis together, you're on the same trains, you're on the same flights, you go out for a meal together most nights, you go for a drink, you're in the same press conferences you sat in the press box together and it's just unbelievable. You know, the people I think of now that I didn't know three weeks ago and I cannot believe I didn't because I just feel like I've known them for so long. Um, It's very, very strange. But I think if I was out here on my own, I would have gone mental. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, the people are just, the journalists, the, the TV guys, every single person, I've got not a bad word to say against any of them. And even the national journalists that have come out, you know, that, the big hitters, so to speak, that have probably never done women's football, but they've been great as well. They've been sociable. They've utilised our knowledge. You know, they've appreciated that we have a knowledge of the women's sport that they don't. And yeah, everyone's got along well. There's been no fallouts or fights or anything like that. I think there's been a few tense moments and people, you know, having difficult days, which is normal, I think, when you're in such a an intense environment working every day but uh, yeah I've not got a bad word to say about the experience or the people I'm with and yeah we're in the latter stages now a week to go and you know I'm going to cover a World Cup final I hope my colleagues get to because I think a lot of them will head back to Nice um, if England end up in the third place playoff Um, but I've taken the decision that you know we did that four years ago we've kind of been there done that now Um, and I'd rather be at a World Cup final whoever's in it so yeah I'm sorted now for the next 10 days I'm in the <laughs> until the end so no more traveling or anything like that so yeah it's um it's going to be an exciting week and a half well enjoy it and yeah thank you very much for your time and, and thanks for giving us an insight into what it's like being a being a journalist in a in a massive tournament like this, so it's good to get a uh, an insight like that. Um, maybe we can catch up after the tournament if we end up bringing that trophy home. Yeah, I'm always about you know me. Um, hopefully, it does come home. And yeah, we'll find out on. Um, well, well, it'll go a long way to finding out on Tuesday if we can beat the US or France. Then. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really starts to ramp up then the excitement, but let's just take things one step at a time. Enjoy it whilst you're out there. You can follow Rich on Twitter. Rich J Laverty is his Twitter handle. Rich, thank you very much. No worries. Now, Tamsin and Helen are the hosts of the excellent Two Girls World Cup, and I am really pleased to say they've joined me on the other end of the phone. Hello. Hey. Hi. How yeah. are we? Yeah, we're um, we're a little bit tired. Yeah. We're still excited. <laughs> I think we're still riding, riding the wave. We've been very, very excited from the win. Uh, but yeah, we've had a fantastic journey there, journey back, and can't wait for some final now. I think in hindsight, I would have done an extra day in France <laughs> we've we literally got in the car from Manchester drove five hours to Dover uh ferry to Calais Calais to Le Havre which was about three hours and then literally got changed and then went to the stadium straight away went, came back got back in at whatever time and then got up and got back in the car and we're back in the UK in Manchester by 8 p.m yesterday That's so nice. just made the USA game just in time for USA v France 
That so it was sounds hectic. Like, sounds like a proper road trip, and and then you say <laughs> back just in time to catch the uh, catch America France. Yeah. Well, you told it us was... about told us about the journey. Tell us about the game. What was the atmosphere? What was Le Havre like? What what was it all like? Well, I mean, Le Havre itself, Helen said on the radio, because we're on Five Live as well, and it was kind of Le Havre, where we were staying, it didn't really seem to know that there was a major international tournament going on. To be honest, this little uh, French lady like had to like take our hands and take <laughs> us to did. the tram stop because there was no signage. No, like We couldn't really communicate, but she got us there. I felt like the um, FIFA people were confused. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, hey, where's the stadium? They're like, the stadium? Yeah. Like, you know, the place where the game's happening. Like, it felt... In La Havre itself, it felt a little bit confused as to what was yeah. going on. And well, um, friendly, the people were lovely, yeah, don't get me wrong. Lovely, just yeah. didn't have a clue. And when we got to the stadium, I mean, that's when, like, the kind of World Cup fever did set in. Yeah. We to, like, camera crews, loads of different fans, like, people with, you know, the faces painted and, like, not just English and, and Norwegian fans, you know, you a lot of French people there, Australians that still hung around for the game. So that was great. And then, obviously, we got in. We watched the first half from one corner. And then we uh, migrated ourselves towards the English band for the second one, just so we could get, you know, in with the, the chants and the, and the singing and everything. There was a lot of chat about that band, wasn't there? The band mm-hmm. that were in the England end. We were talking about how the band was like really, um, the, the people were saying, oh, the, is the band a good thing or a bad thing? For us, it's where all the England fans congregated. So it almost just became where we all went over to, to have a sing song. We ended up there, it was the second half atmosphere wise was yeah. electric wasn't it it yeah. was awesome yeah and um, I'm so glad that we moved to that end of the stadium and also we were about five meters away from Lucy Bronze's world cut worldy goal weren't yeah. we? it was yeah. amazing wasn't it just what what an excellent goal and, and it was her third time at it wasn't it how the Norwegians didn't cotton on to what we were doing there I know, it yeah. felt like they practised it. When the referee blew the whistle. We were saying, though, uh, like so, like Helen just said, I've been re-watching the England backs now, um, and it was kind of like um, Lucy Bonds, uh, make the free kick, win the free kick, scores from the free kick. Like, <laughs> yeah. She just literally just did everything, didn't she, in the, in the run-up to it, because that's when she kind of got trampled to the floor. And then Beth Mead feeds it out. So great for Beth Mead to get an assist as well from coming off the bench, really good for her confidence. And then, yeah, she just absolutely... I love that. So, like, Lucy Bronze was flying down the wing literally three minutes earlier. She got bundled to the floor, kicked in the head twice, um, and then she's, like, she just gets up, brushes herself off, and then a couple of minutes later, she's like, yeah, and what? She, like, puts that in, smacks it into the roof of the net, and she's like, what? So just don't kick me in the head, okay? Don't kick me in the head, I'll stay calm, and I won't score those World Cup worldy goals. She is. She's a very calming influence because if we take a step back to that Cameroon game, right at the very end when all the uh, the kerfuffle was going on with Steph Houghton on the floor being being fouled over by the manager, Lucy Bronze was the one who came over and just stood there in a calming manner, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, we talked about that on the podcast as well because um, we were saying that. Obviously, the whole England team were completely composed during uh, the shenanigans, if you like, that went on in the Cameroon game. But yeah, you're right. Like um, Steph Horton, she was on the floor. Lucy Brown, she did. She came over and she kind of just like put her hands out a little bit, as if to say, "Right, let's calm this down now," because you know it could have been a really serious issue. But... We just got to remember her experience as well. She's won the Champions League. Like she played in the best team in the world. They'll have been in these pressured situations, like more times than she can remember now. Um, she speaks a lot about how every day um, for the last year, she's driven past 
Leon Stadium every day to get to training. Yeah. And every day she said, that's where I'm going to win the World Cup. Yeah, so she's, she's prepared herself every single day for this moment. She's not going to mess it up just because the Cameroonians have been a bit difficult. She's like, she's too level-headed. She's like, she's, well, I think you'll probably tell by the way I'm talking, but also in the podcast, I talk a lot about it. She's my favourite player in the England squad, absolutely worship her. And I think she's the world's best player. And I think that her mentality is part of that. It's not just what she does on the pitch. It's her, how she how she performs mentally on the pitch, how she controls it, um, how she keeps everyone calm and how she's a real calming influence. I love Lucy Bronze. Don't know if you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's coming through loud and clear. Uh, you're not you're not the only one to love her. Phil Neville has has given her the the biggest accolade, really, saying that she's the best the best player, the best left back in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, well, I think he even said, uh, "Well, the best right back." But like, I, I guess. Sorry, big like, pardon, so. Yeah, <laughs> um, I guess he's he said that she's the best player in the world, though, didn't she? And that's one of the kind of accolades that's been been given to her, really. And Alex Scott came out and, and said the same, like in her post match interview. She said about she knew that Lucy Bronze was going to be the person to take her place, and Lucy Bronze didn't want to be Alex Scott. She wanted to be Lucy Bronze. Yeah, I think it's as like a, a football fan. I think if you're a, like a proper football fan who likes to analyze games, especially when you're inside the stadium and you're watching from from up in the gods, it's e- it's easier to see how incredible she is because um, when you're watching on TV, they'll you know zoom into the face of of um, Ellen White or whoever's just scored the goal or whatever. Um, and they really focus. I think the entertainment or the sort of wow factor always comes from the strikers or the forwards. I mean, if we look at men's football, the two most famous footballers in the world play in that forward position. They score all the goals. But like, if I, as a football fan, think about my favourite footballers, they're always the ones that are like defensively strong. They're always like, like Marcello for Real Madrid. I always thought he was like a fantastic player because he controls so much of the game. She plays in the best team in the world in in Lyon and within that team they probably have three or four contenders for Ballon d'Or obviously they already have the Ballon d'Or winner and if she's not in the mix there's something going wrong in the next in the next Ballon d'Or nominations there's something going wrong and for a right back that's a huge compliment isn't it that's a huge compliment and what I feel that I love about this World Cup and it I, I'm starting to feel it more than I did last year with the men's is how close you feel to the action because they do allow you in. Like the players do allow you to, that. yes, their families are on Twitter. Like uh, Jill's mum, Doreen, she posts all the time. Um, she oh, she replied to one of our tweets. We were oh. like, is, she, is it Jillian or Jill? And she was like, it's Jill. No, she, is, she was christened Jill. We were like, okay, sorry, sorry, Doreen. <laughs> but you feel much closer to the action because they allow you in. Like George Stanway's brother, at Glastonbury and that became like a real thing like him being lifted in the air when she came onto the pitch and stuff I just feel like so much more emotionally closer to it because they're allowing us to be like you know I was talking about that this morning though and because of kind of like um you know this kind of stuff that's come out about Phil Neville in terms of talking about the like the whatsapp groups they has and the way that he man manages them if you like I just and and because they are doing a lot of stuff you know like the lionesses daily and that kind of thing so they are they are media darlings, aren't they, at the moment? And I just I wouldn't want that to ever surpass what they intend to do. Yeah, you know, with agree. football. I don't think they will. I think because of the strength of characters that are in there, they're very like even if you look at Steph Orton, for example, she's one of the most humblest people I've ever heard speak for you know for the, the person that she is and yeah. what she's achieved. Definitely. So I yeah. remember met her as like we met we met Steph Steph Orton. She uh, over the years been a huge football fan and I'm from Newcastle, so I've met 
you know, Alan Shearer or whatever. And obviously they're very lovely people, but Steph gave us so much time, like genuinely was like, what's your name? Oh, right. Well, yeah, definitely. We'll check out your podcast. Sort of stood, asked us loads of questions, was like really, really attentive and lovely. And this, like the same goes for Jill Scott, who was absolutely wonderful. And I just don't feel like this, you get this. I hope it doesn't change as they get more and more famous. And as, as this becomes, and if we win the world cup, if this becomes a huge they become a huge thing and it becomes sort of they become like national treasures. I hope they keep that mentality because yeah. they're just such wonderful people. Well, let's let's fast forward to America. How do we see that? <laughs> yeah. Tam, you go, because yeah. I'm I'm still feeling a bit um <laughs> a bit well, etchy about last night. Go on, what are you, did you driving, say, Are you going? Yeah. <laughs> the thing was, I'm not gonna lie, as soon as we got on the ferry, um coming back from Calais to Dover yesterday, <laughs> we were just frantically Googling like can we get the flights? Can we get the tickets? I actually don't think the tickets will be a problem now, especially because of friendship uh, being knocked out. So the resale um, kind of thing, it's it's the travel. We would love to be there. We did try and put it out on Five Live yesterday. I was like, if anyone's got two tickets, I'd like to send <laughs> Alan and I, then we will be happy to do that. Um, um, I am getting married next week, Russell, on Sunday. So well, on Saturday, sorry, on the World Cup. So, oh, God. Get a day, right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's more important, the wedding or the, the match, the potential I know what's match? Exactly. Um, so I'm, don't please, please, I'll get absolutely done in there. Um, no, I'm getting married on the Saturday and obviously the World Cup finals on the Sunday. So this week, it's like... Do I, what is more important to me? <laughs> and I genuinely don't know the answer to that, Russell. Um, so Tuesday's probably a no-go for me, simply because um, I've got to go over to Newcastle, to Northumberland, to get, to get ready. But it, it's looking like a no from me, but I honestly think, Russell, that Tamsin will be there. I think that she'll she won't say anything and then I'll turn the TV on and she'll just be there with a with a flag on her face. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do we see the match going? You know what? Listen, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to be brave. And I'm going to say I think we can beat America because I, I think that they've been exposed by uh, some of the other results that they've seen. Like, for example, they were only able to beat Spain just about um, through a dodgy decision for me towards the end with like the two set pieces. Uh, yesterday they looked a little bit shaky towards the end and there are holes in their defence. Mm. And I think when you've got uh, players, especially players like Ellen White, She's very physical. She's very brave. And I think the bravery, actually, like, because again, because I just rewatched the game when she jumped into the Norwegian keeper, she just, she'll just go for it. And I think for America, the forward six players are absolutely brilliant. And once they get the ball, you're screwed. <laughs> but I think the back four, there are holes to pick in that defence. And I think we've got the power to go for it. Yeah. The other thing is, is obviously Megan Rapino is absolutely on one at the moment. But with that said, being on one to come down that side, she's going to have to get past Lucy Bronze. And as you know, we're now living in the Good Bronze Age. Good luck! We're now living in the Bronze um, Age, aren't we? So. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Bronze Age. So I hope she's got the tools. Yeah. Oh, good one. Oh. I've said it a few times in the pod, and I've, I've kind of been attacked a little bit by the by the USA fans online. I feel like the last two games, especially USA, have won the psychological battle and um, more than they've won the like on the pitch battle. If you look at yesterday. They're really good at playing the game out at 2-1 and they were really good at taking it to the corner flag. It's not like traditional women's football, really. And I've like posted a tweet about it. I think um, I think the USA will go out and I feel a bit stereotypical saying it, but they'll play the stereotypical men's game. So they'll play for fouls and they'll play for set pieces. Yeah. They'll be willing to go back down um, on a t- like on a touch, on a little touch um, or on a shirt pull, be willing to hit the deck. 
Um, they'll get in the referee's face. They'll put pressure on the officials. I'd love to see England play them at their own game. I'd love to come out of that and go, oh, God, we were feisty. Um, I can't. I, th- I, I think that the more... Um, the more experienced players, the Steph Hortons, the Lucy Bronzes, the Ellen Whites that you just mentioned, I think they'd be willing to do that. And I think that'll be a massive part of the game, the psychological battle. Um, I think on the pitch, when it comes to actual physical football and the actual skill, I think England are as good. I don't think, I think defensively we're better. I think attacking, if if we've got Ellen up front, then she's clinical. Um, If we've got... uh, if we're confident in our changes and we make them early enough, I think we can win it. I really do. And I think the thing is, like, obviously, the last time we met, we drew, didn't we? So it's not even like, because obviously, like, Helen's has said, the psychological aspect of it is really important. But psychologically, we're going into it on the back of a result where the, the playing field is is even. Yeah. Like, so, we've you know, we've got as good a chance as there's anyone to beat them. What do you think, Russell? Yeah, what do you think? I think I, I agree with what you say about the Americans being a very sort of savvy side, very experienced. And yeah, I like the way you say about they're going to play the men's game. I understand what you're saying, but they seem a very physical side um, who will play that game. And I think if we are on our game, I think we can match them. Um, but I think it'll be very even. I think these these players that you've obviously mentioned, Lucy Bronzes, the, the Jill Scotts, Ellen White, we've all got to be on it 100% and match yeah. them. Yeah. Um, the, the history, we, we haven't got the best history behind us against the Americans, but it's time to put that right. Um, yeah. And I think I think we can we can match them. We can beat them. The Americans are going to have a big crowd. They've taken a lot of supporters over to France, haven't they? So we're going to have to off the field. Um, Do you remember Canada, 2015, when we played Canada? The England players thrived off that. The Canadians yes. going boo every time we touched the ball. Afterwards, they sent, they said, and um, we've been we've been taught to turn those boos into cheers. So the louder they are, the more that yeah. we are mentally going, yeah, come on then, come at us. Like they love it. Out of interest, Russell, where do you think our biggest area of weakness is against the USA on the pitch? Oh, do you know, Karen Bardsley has come in for a little bit of stick at times. Yeah. Uh, for her distribution at the back, maybe not being as as strong as uh, as as it maybe could be, that yeah. might be a a weak point. I don't think we've got a weak point across across the pitch really. I though. worry a bit defensive defensive midfield. Kira Walsh was a little bit. She's been um, laps at times. Yeah, against... and she's got to be focusing because she's because she's relatively new to the squad. Mm. It's ninety minutes of focus against USA. Yeah. Not a single slip up no. can be made. Yeah. Um, yeah, Millie Bright, because Millie Bright had I've, again because I've just rewatched it. Millie Bright, I think they refer to it on in the news as well as Millie Bright's four minutes of hell. And if she if she does do a pass back like she did um, twice actually. Um, in the game somebody like Alex Morgan she's just so quick yeah. there's no way I mean the Norwegian did get on the end of it but Alex Morgan is that quick she'll be able to get on the end of it take a touch and finish like, yeah, 100%. There's, the margins have, have just shrunk even further haven't they really focus 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 yeah, I, I do I do wonder if Millie Bright was still maybe under the weather a touch um, yeah. after yeah, I think having so. the virus um, so hopefully she's back up and running um, and can pair up with with Steph Houghton again that little phrase that I heard you say uh, was it Brighton at the back yeah I call them Brighton <laughs> yeah, fantastic little phrase on the uh, on the podcast tell us about the podcast how did that come about Helen and I just know each other from playing football so we're just like two mates who just love football yeah Helen was like should we start talking about football and I was like yeah all right <laughs> we're of. always talking to each other about it so yeah we just thought let's let's go for it and it's 
it's been a bit of a crazy journey, hasn't it, really? I, I genuinely, um, I would have happily done this and had just my mum and dad listening every week um, <laughs> because it's just quite fun to feel part of this incredible like rise in women's football. I've been fa- a fan for such a, a lot of years, but um, it feel it felt different this time round, and it has been. And like I think that when we um, when we first sat down in the studio, we didn't even know what we were doing. To be honest, they put earphones on us, and we were like, "Oh my god, we can hear each other!" Oh, <laughs> this is so creepy. And we when we started doing it, I genuinely didn't think it would take off, but I didn't really care to be honest. And then when we started getting randoms, we used to go on Twitter and like a random person would be like, oh, that was really good. And then times we'd be like, is that a family member? I'd be like, no, 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 I don't know them. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just kind of taken off. Yeah, I think for me, like one of the motivations for me wanting to do it is obviously like Ellen and I have played football as well since we've we've both been little girls. And these opportunities opportunities weren't around for us and for me like because as Helen just said like this time it does feel different it was about like once we got into it it was like actually no we're onto a really good thing here and it's kind of for me being on the right side of history in a sense and like we in our small way are also contributing to the conversation around women's sport and football and giving a different slant to it and also you know giving some fans because the people that kind of tend to be attracted towards the, the pod are saying like that there isn't anything like this out there for women to listen to as well and get involved in and we've had some absolutely fantastic feedback from people that are like oh you know it's like talking to like your mates and, yeah. and they feel like they're involved as well and that's what we want we want people to feel involved with football because if you feel comfortable and you feel involved then you you help drive it forwards as well you know like it's not the preserve of, of kind of of male dominance in a, in a yeah, sense I feel like the proudest thing for me is that um as I say we just did it kind of with the intention of just wanting to feel involved in this world cup and knowing that it would be special but that we've got an audience of people that weren't interested in women's world cup were in fact quite apprehensive about being interested in it so weren't really willing to try and then as a result of our podcast and the way that we talk and the way that we sound like two mates that are in the pub and um, they've chosen to start watching it and they've loved it, it. <laughs> um, it's, it's been it's been um incredible it's been it's been really testing. heartwarming it's been testing at times and <laughs> um, but we've, we've absolutely loved it and um in terms of like m- experience wise I'll I'll never forget this not because even of what we've done in the studio it's been more things like what it's done out of the studio in Manchester for instance we host an event every time there's an England game on except when we were over in France and at a bar called Binary Bar and we invite people to come along and random people that we've never met before have turned up and be like oh I've not watched any of the games yet but like I heard your podcast and I thought I'd come along and I just think that that's like that's huge right I really hope we go all the way because all this will do is it will just propel women's football so much further forward. Like, to, 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 Can I just give you an example? Yesterday, I was yeah. talking to someone that's not a football fan about Lucy Bronze. Um, they said, I'm, I'm from the Northeast and they're from the Northeast. And it was someone's dad, so one of my friend's dads. And they messaged me saying, um, how much do you think Lucy Bronze is paid? And I went, I'm not sure, actually. And I Googled it. And she earns about 200,000 euros a year playing for Leon, which is pretty good, right? A um, little bit more than I earn, just a little bit. Um, and she uh, she also gets sponsored by um, Nike and various other bits and bobs. So she's on a fair wedge. I said, but, and there's a massive but. She also persevered playing professional football for Everton in 2010, nine years ago, where she was paid £100 if you played a full game and 50 quid if she came on as a sub. So we're talking 
like nine years and this is how far we've come. And I think in two weeks' time, when we've come out the other side of this World Cup, regardless of what happens now, we'll have propelled the women's sport even further along. And I wouldn't be surprised coming back to you in four years, Russell, and saying, um, oh, my God, women, women, female footballers are so much better. Visually, it's so much better. The level is so much higher. We have actual goalkeeping coaches. We have, like, coaches which specifically help strikers and midfielders and left backs and right backs and the women are paid a fair wage I'm not talking the same as men just a fair wage that I'd that's that's the goal really and I and it's happening and that's so, what's so exciting yeah no I thoroughly agree uh let's not leave it four years though I don't want to be <laughs> hanging around four years we want to we'll come back the at Euros. the Euros the Euros, yeah. it's, it's being played here, obviously. Two girls, um, Euro Cup. What do you oh, think? That's it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast, as I say, is Two Girls World Cup. Twitter is... TG World Cup. And on Instagram, we have Two Girls World Cup. Tamsin, Helen, thank you very much. Uh, no worries, Russell. And Helen, enjoy Leon. Tamsin, enjoy that wedding. Oh, wrong way around. <laughs> Let me edit that. Uh, Helen, enjoy your wedding. Tamsin, enjoy Leon. <laughs> there we Helen. go. Done. Don't spoil you, Russell. <laughs> well, all the very best to you on that. Cheers. All the very best to you on the podcast. And yeah, let's speak again. Thank you. Lovely. Bye. Bye bye. Now, following England's defeats to both France and Romania in the Under-21s European Championship, since we last spoke, our last game, effectively a dead rubber, was against Croatia in San Marino. A real topsy-turvy game. Again, we took the lead. Rhys Nelson from the spot. Croatia equalised before the break, and James Madison restored the lead. Again, Croatia equalised. John Joe Kenny again puts England ahead with 20 to go before Croatia end the scoring by equalising three all it ended. As I said before, this would have been a tournament that England would have put a lot of priority into. To come away with two defeats, conceding nine, joint bottom of the table, isn't how it was meant to pan out. Spain and Germany will contest the final. These are nations we should aspire to be on a par with. Supposedly resting Phil Foden for the Romania game was a mistake. Chowdhury's red car against France was poor discipline. Rhys Nelson only getting one game seems an odd choice given what we know he's capable of. Henderson in goal, although he made some cracking saves throughout the tournament, the goal he let in against Romania was schoolboy stuff and he'll be kicking himself. On the plus side, is it best we make these mistakes at this level before we progress to the senior side? Is the under-21 side really that important? Sure, we want them to perform well, but the next step is as high as possible. Or is it just a blip? European Championships hasn't really been a success over the years for our young Lions. Coming out of the group stage has been the norm since 2011. Only last time around did we make the semi-finals in Poland. England did show that they could play going forward and didn't hold back so much as maybe the seniors do but the defending just let us down. Or do we point the finger at A.D. Bouvroyd for not playing the right way or picking the right side? With the youth level, should the managers progress through with the team until they get to the senior level? 
then they start back again at, say, under-16 level. Meaning they get to know these players on a regular basis, rather than, say, Steve Cooper, who incidentally has now left the setup to manage Swansea, passing his boys on to Neil Dewsnip at under-18, who then passes to Keith Downing under-19, to pass to Paul Simpson under-20, who then obviously passes to Aidy Boothroyd under-21. Don't know, maybe maybe it just needs re-looking at. Can't really go down this route again, can we? Of coming out so badly at an under-21 championships. A few messages on Twitter on the subject. Martin Lote said, Lewis Cook's absence showed no defensive solidarity in midfield. Wasp FC on Twitter said, need to sack Boothroyd. He had so many tactical flaws even before the tournament in qualifying. Those of us watching knew this would happen. And Ashley Skinner, individual errors and missed chances. Story of the summer. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to Rich Laverty and to Tamsin and Helen from the Two Girls World Cup podcast. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts from. And chances are it'll be the same place as where you find this one. It's well worth a listen. As always, please do subscribe at your podcast provider. Leave a kind review and I will love you. You can find us on Twitter at Three Lions Podcast. Search also on Facebook and you can find all the episodes at threelionspodcast.com. I'm now heading off to the Canaries in hope that I can find a telly box in a small bar for Tuesday's game. I'll hopefully be back in a couple of weeks celebrating the Lionesses winning the World Cup. Until then, cheers. <laughs>